Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of No Middle Madness, a podcast about Texas Tech basketball. We're back, baby. Took a nice little break, recharged, got ahead on some school stuff, some summer routines, but man, we're back. College basketball about three months away now, maybe a little bit less, but it's time to get this ball rolling. Um, we kind of had a dead period. We were going to take a little break uh, at the start of the off season, but as we all know, it became very clear that that was not going to be possible. There was a ton of information coming out, and we had to cover it, but we finally hit a bit of a low period. Not much news since Kevin O'Banner joined the Red Raiders squad, and now we're back. We're going to start digging into our player profile series. We're starting today with the returners, but before we go any further, allow me to introduce my co-host, as always, Emery Lida. Emery, how are you doing today? Doing well. It's been an interesting week for me. Um, obviously, going to gain over some sickness and stuff, so if my voice sounds a little bit off, I'm sorry for that, but as far as tight basketball goes, I'm excited to get back talking about it. It's been just over a month since the Kevin O'Banner news dropped, and obviously the team's kind of rounded into form since, and we've kind of heard more about the roster, and I think as a whole, this group is really taking shape. I'm excited to kind of get back in, into the flow of talking about things and just seeing some of the returners and also eventually profiling the newcomers. I think we've got a lot lined up with that, and I mean, a lot of intriguing guys on this team. You've got so much talent, so much versatility, really fun lineups that we can play with, and I'm excited to get diving into it. Yeah, I have had an unhealthy amount of coffee this morning. Also, first college football Saturday of the year, so I'm amped. I'm ready for this episode, ready to talk about Texas Tech basketball. So let's get right into this. I mean, we're going to kick this off with the returners, and obviously the probably the biggest returner in my opinion, was that of Terrence Shannon Jr. So last year, he averaged just under 13 points per game, four rebounds per game, 1.4 assists per game, and just over a steal per game as a sophomore. That qualified him for the All-Big 12 third team, and then he obviously entered his name into the NBA draft, but decided to return probably for one more year. I guess we'll have to see what happens, but it looks like this will be uh, just a big season for Shannon. I mean, out of all of the chaos, I really think that this was probably the most important move for Texas Tech's success next season was Shannon's returning. I mean, last year he ranked in the top 15 in the Big 12 in points, steals, free throws made, and true shooting percentage. I mean, just a huge player. But Emory, how big do you think it is for Texas Tech to be bringing back arguably one of their best players from last year? I mean, it's a huge addition to have Shannon back. I think it's really kind of the cornerstone of the roster TJ is. I mean, when you have a guy that was arguably your first or second option at a lot of points during last year, and you have him back on the roster after everything that went down in the offseason, I mean, it's just so much security that you bring in. I mean, offensively, you've got a guy that can really attack the rim. The shot's still coming along, but, I mean, he really improved that on the last year. I think you've got someone that create, can create for himself. That's something that like you always want to have. And then defensively, his ability, both as a point of attack defender and as an off-ball defender, like having TJ Shannon really kind of opens up so much for what you can do in lineups and kind of just how you can build the rotation. Um, and again, like it's something that you add him to the roster with Kevin McCuller, you have guys like Davion Warren, you have Sarah Calhoun, you have all of those guys that can really kind of just play a variety of positions. And just TJ 
really kind of has that it factor to him where he can be that number one or number one or number two guy offensively. And so I think, I mean, for Mark Adams, it's a huge get. It's someone that you can really kind of build your team around in a sense. And I mean, obviously a lot of us, I think, expected him to stay in the draft this past year. And so, I mean, it was a welcome surprise and something where you can really kind of look forward to the season and how suddenly you're starting to raise the expectations again. Maybe that's something where, like, obviously the team isn't internally looking that far ahead as of now. But certainly for us fans, it's great to look at as something that Tech brings back someone that's as good as CJ Shannon. And then obviously you have the cultural impact of having some of the return, having someone that returns that knows kind of the grind, that knows sort of how Big 12 season flows and what it's like to be in these big games in February and March. Yeah, we're both big TJ Shannon guys. I mean, we both were pretty clear that I think I said that I was like 80% confident that he was going to stay in the NBA draft. I think that his two-way ability just makes him an NBA player. And I still think that he has that level of talent. I think that we'll probably see some of that next season. I think he'll continue to build on that. And then obviously thinking super far ahead, um, I do think that he'll probably be an NBA player uh, in two seasons from now. And I mean, looking at this roster, there's a perfectly reasonable situation where Kevin O'Banner or even Kevin McCuller is the best player on this team. But I'd be very surprised if come February, March, maybe even January, if Terrence Shannon Jr. isn't one of the five or seven best players in the conference. I mean, he has all Big 12 first team potential. He's got the talent. I like what you mentioned about kind of his on-ball defense. We saw um, a lot of like ball hawking and almost playing like free safety his freshman year, but he was just so good at point of attack last year. And then the pull-up jump shot, just being able to put it on the ground and, and just make those mid-range jumpers. That was really huge for him. But I think like the biggest, the biggest swing factor for him and probably the reason that he's still a Red Raider is the three-point jump shot and just seeing if that's at an NBA level. And there was a ton of improvement last year. I mean, he raised his three-point percentage exactly 10% on almost 50 more shots. So that's a pretty sizable impact and increase in the jump shot. Um, I think, in my opinion, that that's too much of a that's too much volume for it to be an outlier um, and to think that, you know, he's going to regress back down to a, you know, mid twenties, three point shooter. I think that the form is still like a little, there's some question marks and, you know, he's touched on uh, in press conferences, just that it's something that they've worked on since he got to tech is trying to tinker with it. And he's just getting used to it with more, with more shots. And, you know, I think that 36 to 38%, is definitely an attainable range for him to be at again. And if he's shooting 38% from three um, at the volume that he was last year, there's there's no question that he's going to be an NBA player. But Emery, that's kind of where I see his three-point shot being next season. What do you think? What do you see on the film and kind of in the numbers that that's giving you an indication of where he'll be next year? I would say that I'm very optimistic in terms of how his shot has progressed. Because I think if you look at last year, Kind of in the non-conference, he started a little bit slowly, kind of shooting. Wasn't really comfortable taking the high-volume amount of shots, but then you got kind of later in the conference season, and you started to see him really sort of be more aggressive taking threes. I mean, sometimes it worked out. Like against Kansas, the very first game of the the conference season, he was taking a lot of threes. I think he took seven, made four, and a lot of those were off the dribble at the top of the key. Those are shots that, like, you don't take unless you have some of a comfort in your shot. 
I think sometimes it worked for him, sometimes it didn't. I mean, obviously, you had some games in the middle of the conference schedule where he really kind of struggled. But the fact that he was still shooting them, still felt comfortable shooting at that high, higher volume, that's something that you can look towards at the next for next season and be optimistic that if he has that confidence that he can shoot at a high level, then he can just keep continuing to develop that confidence, keep kind of getting more rhythm looks. And also, I think that as the season progressed, he started taking a wider variety of shots because at the beginning of the year, it felt like he was taking most of his shots from kind of at the top of the arc, top of the key. So not really on the wings and not really in the corner. But that kind of diversified over the course of the season. And I also think he got more comfortable over the course of the year with the catch and shoot shots. I think like there's a variety of different places where Shannon was able to improve over the course of the last season. And certainly from his freshman year, where he felt like a non-shooter at times. So I think holistically, Shannon's jump shot is something that I'm really kind of optimistic about because I think, like, as you said, if he can improve it to just being a 38% shooter on his current volume, which he did in top one or in quality games last year, that's something that can be really important for the team and kind of just add that spacing. And for him individually, it opens up so much for what he can do offensively because he's already got some really good finishing skills. He's already able to kind of master the pull-up, master the ability to get to the rim. So just having all of that in his arsenal, really it relies on him having a jump shot to really fully maximize it. But certainly that that shot's come along quite a bit. And I think going forward in the next year, I'm, I would expect him to continue to improve it. and. I think we can expect him to be a reliable shooter to some degree next year. That's a really good point about the corners. I mean, obviously we saw towards the end of last year, it felt like he was making that pull-up mid-range jumper on that. I guess it's the right corner if you're looking at the basket. It felt like he was making that like three or four times a game, like every single game. He was just consistently in that spot. And that was a really good, that was a really good shot for him. And it was going in. And I think that's kind of, uh, reason for confidence and reason for optimism is just how comfortable he looked on that shot and also just in other areas around the floor. But I mean, when we're thinking about Terrence Shannon and his ceiling, um, it's really easy to be optimistic because, I mean, you look at the defense and it's there. Like, there, there's really not much else that, that I think he can do defensively to really take the next step. I mean, obviously, he can just continue to improve, but the off-ball defense is there. The on-ball defense is especially there. He's got really good instincts and really good hands. The, d- the defensive ability is at an NBA level right now, in my opinion. But, I mean, offensively, obviously, I think the biggest swing factor is that shooting. And then we also have to look at his playmaking ability. That's something we saw him kind of get more comfortable with as the year went on last season, was he was just more comfortable kind of running pick and rolls or kind of serving as a secondary creator, creating um, off the wing. But, I mean, I think those are probably the two biggest things to look at um, next season whenever we get our first look at a junior year, Terrence Shannon Jr. But, I mean, thinking about if those two things really come along and he's shooting 38% from three and he's really comfortable putting the ball on the floor and creating for his teammates, I mean, he is easily, in my opinion, a lock for all Big 12 first team. And, I mean, if that happens, and I think Texas Tech is – probably one of the four best teams in the conference. Cause I mean, if he pans out and then you've got Kevin McCuller and um, Kevin O'Banner as well, and just the rest of the depth on this team, if he can be one of the five best players in this conference, this is going to be a really hard team to beat. And I mean, I think one of the biggest question marks facing this team right now is the shooting. And what does the shooting look like from deep? 
And if he can shoot 38% from three, that's going to be a massive asset for this team. But Emery, kind of what's your thinking of where Shannon's ceiling is at and how important do you think it would be for Texas Tech if he reaches that? Yeah, I think really he can accomplish so much next year. I think you have someone that can be an all-Big 12 defensive caliber player, maybe challenge for defensive player of the year, and then offensively, you've got someone that has the ability to potentially add on that three-point jump shot as not just a good threat, but a real dangerous threat, being a 38, 39% three-point shooter. And then again, the playmaking is something that I think came along over the course of last year. Obviously, he's still got a long way to go in terms of the vision and just kind of processing places to pass, sort of getting in rhythm with guys. But I think the mindset of being able to playmake is there, and I certainly wouldn't put it past him to kind of jump up to being more of like a two assist guy, someone that can run more pick and rolls and more be kind of the main operator in more sets. But I think as a whole, his potential next year really for Tech is some is to be someone that can be in main option. Defensively, he can play the on-ball defender role, point of attack defender really well. Obviously, he's going to be disruptive off-ball. And he put all of those things together, and he can be someone that can really be the centerpiece for a team. I think if you can accomplish that and you get reliable performances from the rest of the roster, you're talking about a team that I think could challenge top three in the Big 12. I think, obviously, it's hard to project exactly where they'll end up in terms of raw numbers or around the nation and generally to know how other teams will pan out because there's so much unknown still in terms of how other guys will perform and sort of what goes on in the college basketball climate next year. But I would say that Shannon's ability to kind of perform at a level that matches his ceiling and kind of getting that three-point shooting up, improving his playmaking, then on defense continuing the good work, that's going to be, that's going to go a long way towards opening up Tech's potential success next year. And I do think as well, defensively, something that I'm really intrigued about is he's going to be able to play more of that off-ball disruptor role this year. And I think that that maybe maximizes his skill set even better because even though he's a really good on-ball defender, and like you said, his instincts are incredible, and he's able to be disruptive on-ball, I also think that his off-ball defense and processing is something that the other guys on the roster and really throughout the nation, not many guys have that ability to kind of be as disruptive in the passing lanes. And so I think you have a roster that's filled with really good on-ball defenders. And so having Shannon being able to kind of focus more on the off-ball role, and obviously he'll still get quite a few point-of-attack assignments, but those sorts of traits that he has defensively are going to go a long way in terms of maximizing the ceiling of the steam. And it's really something where I think if Shannon plays to his best potential defensively, you're talking about a team that can suddenly challenge for being maybe top five in the nation in terms of most defensive metrics, whether it be Kim Pong, Bartrovic, or even just some of the standard stats, like looking at ball pressure, steals, deflection, stuff like that. Yeah, he's obviously a very important player and a lot of just thinking about projections and how good this Texas Tech team can be. But there's obviously a ton to be excited about, especially on the defensive side of the ball, like you mentioned. And talking about defense, man, we we got to talk about Kevin McCuller, the guy that just posted a defensive highlight reel on Twitter. I mean, are we even surprised that this is the first guy who committed to Mark Adams whenever he was named head coach? I mean, Kevin McCuller, obviously really big redshirt sophomore year, 10.4 points per game, 6.3 rebounds, 2.1 assists, 1.7 steals, and just under a block per game. 
I mean, just a really big season. And I think we saw a lot of flashes that were promising, but also that showed, you know, there's there's reasonable room for improvement. And if he reaches that room, he's going to be a really, really good basketball player. Like one of the best basketball players in this conference and just one of the best two-way players in the nation. And I think whenever we look at McCullough's season last year, I think that something that's really lost on people and that's very easy to forget is that he got hurt right before opening day um, in a practice. And he missed like the first first couple of games of of non-con. I think he actually missed all of non-con and then missed one or two conference games, comes back from injury and then gets two double doubles in a week. I mean, this guy is fearless. He he had the famous quote, you know, I'm just out there hooping. He, he's not scared. He's just playing basketball. And this guy, there's a lot of grit. There's a lot of toughness. I mean, you kind of touched on this with Shannon, but just having this consistency. I mean, consistency is king in college basketball in a lot of ways. And experience is important. And obviously, good players are important. And Kevin McCuller brings back both of those for this Red Raider team. And if he can stay healthy, I mean, this offseason, continue to bring the level of two-way play that he had last year. I really do think that he'll be easily one of the best players in this conference. Emery, when you're looking at Kevin McCuller and you're thinking about his season last year, what do you see that made you excited when you think about his potential come November? I think there's two main things that really impressed me, especially compared to his freshman year, and those would be his playmaking ability, and then as well as the potential for growing as a shooter. I think, as for the first one, it's something that he kind of showed throughout his high school tape was someone that was comfortable running as a one as a lead facilitator. Um, kind of over the freshman year, he kind of struggled with turnovers, especially early on when Chris Beard tried to play him as more of a facilitator it didn't necessarily go well and I think he was uncomfortable at times with that just kind of struggling more so on the ball handling side of things than the actual passing but this past year you really kind of worked on that you saw him in games such as Texas or the Arkansas game in the tournament where he really kind of took on more of a more of a playmaking role and really kind of focusing on getting other players involved they were in a lot of sets through him and that's something that if you told me coming into the year that McCuller was going to be able to do that, especially given that you had quite a few guards on the team, I would have been extremely surprised. So having his playmaking ability kind of resurface was something that really excites me for this year because it's something that this team could really utilize. And I think that it opens up the lineup versatility. It opens up what you can run offensively when you have three to four wings out there that can all kind of play interchangeable positions. Having out McCuller, this comfortable running offense goes a long way in terms of making sure that you can run that lineup. And then I think the second thing regarding the shooting really doesn't go in as far as looking at the actual percentage because by percentage, he really wasn't a great shooter. But I think it was more along the lines of just his ability to take shots off the dribble, take catch-and-shoot shots, and really just look in the flow of the offense. That suggests to me someone that's been working on his shot and some someone that's comfortable and confident enough to take those shots. And I have confidence that, that that shooting percentage is going to regress upwards a little bit or progress upwards a little bit this year, simply because I think that you look at his free throw percentages, that's someone that genuinely is a decent shooter. I mean, he's shooting above 70% throughout his college career. And then also, I mean, someone that's is comfortable enough taking open three-point shots, taking the catch-and-shoot looks, and then also taking pull-ups in the mid-range, uh, especially early on in the season, like against Incarnate Word, his first game back, I remember he hit 
I want to say two or three pull-up mid-range jumpers that looked really smooth. I think just having that in, a, in his arsenal is something that we really didn't see as much out of freshman Kevin McCuller. And, I mean, I'm excited to see how that develops because I think if he can get his shot going and if he can get his playmaking going, it not only benefits him, but also it really opens up what you can do with the lineups and who you can play and with. You bring up a really interesting point in that the shot looked a lot better, um, but the the numbers don't really show that. And we, we get some slack sometimes for being too heavy on the numbers. And, I mean, if you look at them, he actually shot worse from three last year than he did his freshman year. But, I mean, there were times last year when he was taking shots and I was like, okay, like this is this is in there somewhere. I don't know how much you can utilize it on high volume. I don't know how effective it can be. Um, on a lot of attempts, but there were times where his jumper just looked significantly better. He looked more confident. He was taking shots off the dribble, taking some catch and shoot threes in like the corner and off the wing. It just, it was there. It passed the eye test. And, you know, I, I'm not too confident about him shooting over, I don't know, 31, 32% from deep. But I do think that if he can utilize that mid-range jumper, it's going to be really important for the Texas Tech team and just, creating chaos on offense. There's a lot of confusing pieces and guys that just can slide around pretty much anywhere. And I think if he can be a guy where you put the ball in his hands and he uh, can make shots off the dribble, it's going to be really important for this team and for uh, just spacing in general. Even as a non-shooter, it's going to be really, really pivotal. Um, and then you bring up the playmaking. Obviously, there's been some some talk about him maybe stepping into a point guard or lead initiator role next season. And I mentioned earlier that I think one of the biggest questions facing this team is the shooting. I think that probably the second biggest question I have, just as I've thought about the roster for the past month and our and our time off, is probably the playmaking and who steps up at guard. I know we're both pretty high on Mylik Wilson. I think he's going to be a good player. Um, even if he's not, you know, all Big 12 potential, I think he'll be a good player. But if Kevin McCuller can comfortably play in that role, it's going to be really important for this team because then you've got a, a main guard. I mean, you even today, as we're just reviewing these returners, you've got two big wings that are very good two-way players, and then you're returning a big in Marco Santos Silva, who we'll talk about next. And those fill two really important holes that you need to have good players in in college basketball. And I think one one area you might have wanted to return another player in was at the guard position. So, you know, retaining a, a Kyler, Kyler Edwards or a Mac McClung, I think that would have been really big. But obviously those guys had to make decisions that they felt like was best for them. And, you know, the roster is what it is. And so I think if you can get a guy like Kevin McCuller to step into that role, I think it's going to be really important. And I mean, it's just difficult to judge how he can play in that position because there's not a ton of film on it. Like there was... Some stuff where he was, you know, like you mentioned, serving as a secondary creator or even bringing the ball up at, at times, but just didn't look super comfortable with it. And then I don't really think it's fair to judge initiating talent just based on numbers because assists are, are two-man stats. You know, a player's got to make a shot when you get it to him. But I think I will say that one one thing that I think is really underrated about if McCuller wants to play in this position and if Mark Adams wants to utilize him in this way is that he's a really smart player, like has a very, very high basketball IQ. And that just jumps off the screen whenever you're watching him play basketball. I mean, I think the first game he was back from injury last year, I I clipped a, a play of him just running all around the floor. And he was open like 
two or three times and just didn't really get the ball while he was cutting to the basket, but he was open just reading the defense and, and getting himself in a position where he had a good look. And I think that's a really underrated aspect of, of being a, a playmaker. I think, you know, having good basketball IQ and being able to know where things are going to fall apart in the defense, like that's, that's Nikola Jokic to the max. Like that guy is a basketball genius. And if Kevin McCullough can read defenses while the ball is in his hands, I think that's going to be really key, even if we haven't seen a ton of it on film already. But Emery, how do you think uh, Kevin McCullough can play in this lead initiator or playmaker type role? You bring up a really good point about his just basketball IQ and how much that can help him in this role. I mean, I think of it as... It being someone that you see him utilize that off the ball, like you said, I mean, he gets open so frequently, is able to find spaces really effectively. I think that's something that if you can translate it to playing on the ball, you're talking about someone that's able to find gaps for teammates, set other people up, and I feel like that's something that Tech can really utilize. And, I mean, obviously McCuller is going to have to be more comfortable as the lead initiator for him to be able to work out the kinks as that kind of main guard. And I think that early on, it might not be something that Tech wants to do full-time because you want to make sure that he can kind of ease into that. You, you've you really only seen him be a secondary initiator with the occasional, occasional sets where he runs the lead man and occasionally he'll be, he'll run the offense for like a possession or two, but it's really not in the actual flow of the offense. It's more along the lines of just something that happens over the course of the game. So I think that just bringing him into that role and sort of easing him in is something that Tech will have to do. I don't think it's something where day one, you can just roll out and immediately average like five, six assists a game. I can't see that happening. I just think it's going to be something more along the lines of where there'll be someone that can sort of lead the offense for a good portion of the year. and. I mean, I think as long as he's able to be comfortable and can kind of be smart, which obviously is Kevin McCuller, you know he has a super high basketball IQ, just being intelligent, making sure he's not making unnecessary risk with the ball, then it's something that can really benefit the team. And I think if there's one wing on the team that you want to have kind of transitioning into that lead guard role, playing a lot of on-ball initiator type plays, it's going to be Kevin McCuller. And we've seen it in the last year. We saw him have games where he really kind of was more of a secondary initiator, but we did see a lot of playmaking from that role. So overall, like the colors playmaking is something that can really open up the team. And I, I do feel like over the course of the next couple of months, we're going to see him kind of working into that potential, working into his ability to be a playmaker. I think it's going to benefit the team quite a bit because overall, like when you have that, and like I've mentioned a million times on this podcast, when you have the versatility of lineups that comes with having so many wings and so many guys that can do a large variety of different tasks and things on the basketball court, then it just adds to how much you can do as a team, adds to the lineups you can run. And I feel like it also presents a major challenge for a lot of teams throughout the Big 12 and really throughout the nation when you've got a guy like McCuller that can run on ball and also be a serviceable off-ball player and a really good defender. So, yeah, I mean, the playmaking and the ability to run as a lead guard is going to be absolutely huge for the team, and I think it's huge for McCuller as well as a player and just kind of developing that. It's going to open up a lot of things for what he can do offensively and utilizing the jump shot, utilizing his ability to drive. Those are things as well that will help 
but ultimately it's kind of his ability to be comfortable as a playmaker that's going to really open things up for the team and for him. Yeah, I think even if he can be a comfortable or highly highly utilized secondary creator and kind of play alongside a Mylik Wilson or even a Bryson Williams, that's something that I'm really interested in seeing play out this next season is just um, how his secondary playmaking can come along. I think that's going to be really important. And just being a reliable option to to be, you know, an initiator and create for his teammates because there's a lot of versatility on this team. There's going to be a lot of moving pieces. And I think if he can just kind of fit in wherever wherever he's needed, it's going to be really important for this team. But obviously, we're going to wrap things up now with, with Marcus Santos Silva and just a pretty important player to be returning. Uh, averaged 8.3 points per game, 6.4 boards, 1.3 assists, and just over a block as a senior last year. I think he caught a lot of slack um, that was really unwarranted in my opinion. I think he filled his role well. I think there's definitely room for improvement, but I think that he's a good player. And there's reason to be excited for him coming back, especially what he can do on the glass. I think that's probably where... He, he's going to be uh, most effective next year and see a lot of his production is just playing off the boards and, and just being really serviceable down low. But I think, you know, next season, there's a lot of, a lot of bigs on this team. And that wasn't really the case last year. I mean, you think about probably your second best big on the team was, was, was Tyreek Smith, unless I'm forgetting somebody. I think that was probably your second best big. And now you've got three, three high quality starters that, could definitely like all all start and I don't think they will because that's an insane lineup to run especially in big 12 play but all three of these guys Marcus Santos Silva um, Bryson Williams and Kevin O'Banner could all definitely earn starting roles on the majority of power five teams I think you know right now you can go ahead and pencil in Marco Santos Silva as a starter I don't I'm guessing you play Kevin O'Banner at the four and Marcus Santos Silva at the five. But again, like I said earlier, consistency is king. And I think that, you know, he provides a really important level uh, to this team on the floor, but also in the locker room. Just a guy who is consistently spoken very highly of by his teammates, a guy who's very selfless and puts the team first. He doesn't care about scoring. He cares about winning. I think you can go ahead and pencil him in as a starter. He's going to be probably one of the leaders of this team, but I do think that he'll probably play fewer minutes than he did last year. And that's just due to the nature that there's so many bigs in this rotation. And it's just going to be difficult for him to play a lot of minutes. It's going to be difficult for any of these three guys to play, you know, a high volume of minutes. I think Kevin O'Banner will probably play the most out of the three, just due to his versatility on offense. I think you can probably try and stick him on the wing and just see what happens. But yeah, I think you can probably go ahead and play uh, Marco Santos Silva, 20 minutes a game, probably somewhere around there. I think last year he played 23. So maybe 20 minutes, just under 20 minutes. I think that's going to be a really comfortable range for him. But Emery, kind of how do you see Santo Silva fitting into next season rotation? And why is it important that he's back for another year? I think from a rotation standpoint, fitting in Santo Silva as well as, as, well as Bryson Williams and O'Banner, that's going to be something that's going to be that debated over the course of the next couple months by the coaching staff and by the fans and analysts outside just because there's so many good bigs like you mentioned I mean when you have three guys that can all start at a high level and feasibly you're not going to be able to give all of those guys 25 30 minutes a night you're going to have to 
have some sacrifices with minutes. But ultimately, I mean, Santos Silva is a really good player. I think people, it gets lost on people just how effective he can be as a team defender and offensive rebounding as well as the strength that he has, not just in terms of him actually grabbing the rebound, but just tap outs and stuff like that. Those are things that Santos Silva does really well. So there's definite, definite tangible skills there. And I would also say that those are skills that maybe O'Banner and Williams don't quite bring as much. I mean, obviously, both of those guys are really good offensive players. I think especially Williams can be a, real, a good defender as well. But there is kind of some sort of limitation to their team defense. And it isn't necessarily a negative thing. It's just not what they've really specialized in throughout their college career. So especially early on, you're going to want to have Santos Silva around as kind of that guy that can be a positive team defender, that can get those offensive boards and really kind of just serve his role on the team, just sort of being a little bit of a glue guy, so to speak, which isn't something you hear a lot of from bigs, but I think it's true in this case, just because he does so much stuff that goes unnoticed that isn't really kept up with on the stat sheet. But then you look at the lineup data and suddenly you're seeing a guy that was a positive last year and that was really one of Tech's most impactful players. So, I mean, bringing him back is something that I think was really important just to establish the tone of the locker room because he's a guy, like you mentioned, everyone respects him. He's really well, well liked by the players, by anyone that's around the program, speak, speak very highly of MSS. And I think as a whole, Santos Silva's overall work ethic and stuff like that, that's something that you want to have around the program. And then on the court, he's someone that, again, has played a lot of games in his college career. He's experienced highs, he's experienced lows, and he's experienced times when individually he's had huge games. And then also in the, as a team when they've had games where maybe he wasn't so productive but still had a huge game. So I think he's had the whole range of emotions throughout the college experience. And like having someone like that is just invaluable because not only can you bring the on-court aspect, but when you have guys that are young that really haven't been – around each other that much and even though this is an experienced team from a sheer start perspective and from sheer college experience it's still a group of guys that a lot of them haven't played together and I think having a guy like Santos Silva really kind of helps in terms of gelling the team and making sure everyone's on the same page so I think you have the leadership ability that he brings as well as the fact that he can be a positive player just for his team defense offensive rebounding and stuff like that so I mean I'm looking forward to seeing how they fit him in. I can't see him getting more than, say, 20 minutes a night. I'm not sure if he'll start or not. I think it's maybe a little bit pointless to speculate too much on that just because he's going to get minutes either way. And I think everyone everyone in the rotation is going to be similar to how you would see during the Chris Beard era where you can start five guys, but you really have seven, six or seven guys that play starter minutes. I can definitely see Santos Silva slotting and slotting into those one of those roles, whether or not he starts or not. But just for my personal opinion, I think he will start on night one, and for the first little bit, simply because he's been around the program. He's a really reliable guy to have. Obviously, like I said, he's a positive player. He brings kind of unique attributes that maybe the other bigs don't necessarily bring. And just from a figurehead perspective, having a senior leader out there that's gone through so much like Santos Silva has. It just means a lot to be able to start him and kind of have him represent your program. The work ethic is a really important point. I mean, we saw a lot of him staying after games last year, you know, getting free throws up on nights where he had a, a tough night at the line, which was a lot of nights, and I'm sure more than he would have liked to have. But um, 
just thinking about like what he can bring and what he can improve on. Like there's some very, very tangible ways that he can improve. I think one of those is um, at the free throw line, like I mentioned, but maybe a more important one that I think that he can develop is ball protection and kind of serving as a, uh, a big who can create. And I don't know like what that really looks like in its fullest sense. I don't think he can be somebody you rely on to, you know, run your offense or even run through it often. But I think, Last season, especially to start games, almost every single game they started uh, during Big 12 play, they ran a designated play through Marcus Santos Silva to either get a shot or create a shot. And I thought that was really interesting. And I think maybe that's something we see more of next year. And I think that if he can, you know, protect the ball, not turn it over, but find open teammates and create good looks, I think that's going to be really important for this team. Because I can see that being a role where, you know, Bryson Williams, he can fulfill really well. And, you know, if you can have two bigs on the floor, I haven't watched enough Kevin O'Banner tape to know if that's really in his game. But if you can have two bigs that can also pass the ball well, I think that's going to be really important. And I think if he can play kind of a, almost like a lesser Chris Clark role. So not bringing the ball up, not serving as a lead initiator, but kind of just stick him at the free throw line, put the ball in his hands and see what happens. Let him set some screens, let him, you know, bump some guys, cut to the basket. I think that's going to be important to see. I think he just needs the ball in his hands a little bit more in an area that's not on the block or directly underneath the basket, just because that kind of limits you for what you can do offensively. But Emery, what's what's one area that you can see Marco Santos Silva making an improvement in that you think would be really important, not only for his game, but for the team as a whole? This is going to be kind of a really interesting answer, I think, because it isn't entirely reliant on him, but I do think that in the pick and roll, he could certainly be used more often as a screener. And that's not to say that he necessarily did a bad job setting screens, but more on the lines of we really didn't get to see him as much of a screen and roll big. And I definitely think looking back to his time at VCU, it was something that was utilized to some extent. And especially with him as a pastor off the short roll, I think it's something that he really kind of improved over the course of the last year from when he was at VCU to when he got to Tech. And so I think that's something where we really didn't get to see all that much of him last year. But I think the talent's certainly there. He's such good screens, and I think he has the potential to be a decent short role playmaker. And again, when you have the wide variety of guys off the ball that can sort of fulfill different roles offensively, Having a short role playmaker like Santos Silva, in addition to what you already have with Bryson Williams and obviously Kevin O'Banner, who's a completely different entity, those guys, I mean, you add Santos Silva's pick and roll ability and kind of screen setting and also playmaking, that's something that can really open up the offense when he's out on the court and can make it to where you can run those two and maybe occasionally a three big lineup, but more or less running two big lineups becomes a lot more viable when you have a guy like Santos Silva that can play make. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that playmaking is is going to be really, really important. So thank you all for tuning in to episode 26 of No Middle Madness. We'll be back on a more consistent schedule as the season creeps closer, bringing you episodes more regularly. No more one-month breaks. We'll be back uh, in the flow of things, breaking players down, telling you what you need to know, and just providing more consistent coverage on this team. But before we get out of here, Emery, one quick parting words. You got Houston or Texas Tech today? Oh, I've got Texas Tech, no question. I don't even think it's going to be particularly close personally, and I'm ready for those 
forced to potentially bite me in the rear end. But I mean, I'm, I'm really confident about this tech team. I think it's the team that a lot of people are underrating and it's well put together. And I also think Houston doesn't exactly have the best environments right now. And I feel like that's something that people haven't really caught on to. But when you look at the last couple of years around the program, I think there's a lot of stuff going on that should be noticeable in their performance or lack thereof tonight. Love the confidence. Love the confidence. I'll take Texas Tech by about 10. Excited to see Tyler Shuck. And we'll see if Sir Roderick Thompson can get on the field if he's healthy enough to play. But yeah, I got Texas Tech. I think it's going to be one of their best seasons in at least the last handful of years. But enjoy the football game, everyone, today. Enjoy college football being back again. Like I said, we'll be back on a more consistent schedule. And we look forward to bringing you some more coverage on this team. I'm Ryan Mainville, joined by Emery Lida. Thank you for listening to No Middle Madness.